You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, eliminate murkiness and any distraction, that we might hear you and what you are saying to us this day in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The lectionary this morning by God's providence has given us a rather difficult and yet pertinent gospel lesson from the 15th chapter of Matthew, often called uh, the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, which is uh, generally uh, regarded as one of the most difficult passages to preach on because it's very hard to make sense of, especially at its surface. And yet, rather than shy away from it, I don't think that there is a better time for us to dive in and actually see what God's Word is saying, especially, especially as it pertains to racial prejudice, which is what this passage is really all about. It's important to understand before we get to the Syrophoenician woman that we understand the geography of Jesus' ministry immediately. What's happening right now? Jesus has just recently been in Gennesaret, which is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And while he's there, Jews, scribes and Pharisees have come up from Jerusalem to hear his teachings. Now, it's important that we understand that those scribes and Pharisees that are coming up from Jerusalem are coming up from an area of of Israel known as Judah. Judah is almost 100% Jewish. Full stop. Galilee, where Jesus is ministering in this moment, is about half Jewish, half Gentile. But after doing some teaching there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus takes his disciples and they go where? Up to the Mediterranean coast to Tyre and Sidon, which is almost 100% Gentile, completely. And that's important to help us understand this story. So I draw your attention, and we're going to need to look at it this morning. So break out your bulletins or turn to page 821 in your pew Bibles. Jesus has made his way up with the disciples there to Tyre and Sidon. You can imagine uh, what the disciples must have been thinking. Why are we going over there? This is not a place that you want to go. In fact, as soon as they enter in, here's this Canaanite woman from that region who came and began to cry, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, the word Canaanite here doesn't necessarily refer to the ethnicity of a Canaanite, those people who used to inhabit Canaan land that the Israelites then invaded and took because God had promised them that land. But actually the word simply means foreigner. She's a foreign woman. Now Canaanites were also people like Samaritans. And Jews would do anything in their power to avoid such people. They were defiled. They were unclean. They were unholy. Uh, Not only were people like the folks up in Tyre and Sidon and even in Samaria, not only were they of mixed race, but they were also of mixed religion. 
Uh, they were all over the place when it came to religion. They kind of took a little bit from this religion and a little bit from that religion uh, and kind of cobbled together a religion that worked for them in that day and moment, not unlike the United States. And yet, uh, here is this woman uh, coming up to Jesus, this Canaanite woman. In addition, because she is a woman, the disciples would have wanted to have nothing to do with her. Uh, we see a similar situation early on in John's gospel when Jesus has the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, in Jesus' day, devout Jews wouldn't even speak to a woman in public. Some wouldn't even speak to women they were related to in public. And here is this woman who's a Canaanite, who's a foreigner, who's not a Jew, who would be considered unfaithful, she is running up and talking to Jesus. But clearly, she knows something about Jesus. She knows who Jesus is. She calls him Lord, which, yes, is a term of respect, like you would call somebody sir. But she also says that he's the son of David, which means her calling him Lord is more than just sir. She's acknowledging that he's the promised one. And she's looking for her daughter to be healed. And she's come to Jesus for that healing. Which is incredible because there's a great temple in Tyre and Sidon that has been built to their head god, Eshman. And do you know who Eshman was? The god of healing. And so rather than go to that temple that was easy access to her, who does she go to instead? The promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, for the healing of her daughter. And of course, because she's a Canaanite and because she's a woman, the disciples came and begged Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. Shoo her away. Tell her to get lost. The disciples actually begin the conversation. And Jesus finally speaks. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you can see in your mind's eye the disciples nodding their heads. Yes, they remembered back to Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sent the apostles out in mission. And he said, I want you to go to the house of Israel, to the lost sheep. I don't want you to go to the Gentiles right now, but I want you to go throughout all of Israel. That's the task that I've given you. And indeed, leading up to chapter 15, we have two great miracles that point to Jesus' mission to the people of Israel. We have Jesus feeding the 5,000, and in that moment, he takes them out into the wilderness and gives them what? Supernatural food. In the same way God did when he took the Israelites out of Egypt and led them into the wilderness and fed them on manna from heaven. And then after he feeds the 5,000, what does he do? He crosses back the Sea of Galilee, walking on water. In the same way that the Israelites passed through the Red Sea unharmed, Jesus is the one who is the Lord even over the waves, who commands the very seas that he made. And so Jesus is the promised Messiah to the people of Israel. And the disciples are understanding that. And yet it still sounds pretty harsh. Because if he's sent 
to rescue the lost sheep of Israel. What in the world is Jesus doing in Tyre and Sidon when there ain't no sheep? There are no Israelite sheep up there except for the ones that Jesus brought along. So why is he there? He's there because of the encounter with this woman. And Jesus, after saying that he's only sent to the lost sheep, this woman is undeterred. And she comes and she kneels before him with the screams and agony of her demon-possessed daughter consuming her mind. She kneels before Jesus and can only utter three words, Lord, help me. And what does Jesus do? He answers her in an incredibly offensive way. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I had lunch once with a colleague in ministry, and this passage came up in the lectionary, and he was going to preach on it. And he said, you know, this passage just goes to show that Jesus was the product of his prejudicial upbringing. But if Jesus is who he says he is, God the Son, then can Jesus be a racist? Because that's exactly what it sounds like here, doesn't it? He's, he's referred to this woman as a dog. And some commentators will try to temper that by saying, yes, but the Greek here is for little dog. Well, Jews in Jesus' day, they didn't keep dogs as pets. They were wild. If anybody kept them, they were more for guard dogs. In fact, dogs were ranked just above pigs to the Jewish people of the day. And so here, Jesus is using the word, the racial slur, that Jews would use to refer to foreigners like her. Why should I talk to you? You're a dog. It's hard for our Western ears to hear this, I hope. It's hard for our Western ears to hear this. Because the United States, we're a nation of immigrants. You know, much of the world, especially the developing world, is dominated by one culture. And if you were to move to that country, you would have to acclimate to that culture or else it isn't going to work. In the West, we think, I think, therefore I am. In the rest of the world, it's I am because of the way we think. So if you were to move to Saudi Arabia and you said, well, I'm not going to wear that full-length burqa thing because I'm just not going to do that, you're going to have a very hard time functioning in Saudi Arabia. It's just the fact of the matter. And the same was true of Israel in Jesus' day, that indeed the disciples and Jesus grew up in a culture where racism against non-Jews was not just tolerated, it was encouraged. I mean, so much so that they would avoid Samaria altogether. They would actually add days to their journey. Rather than cutting from Galilee straight down to Jerusalem, they'd take the bypass and go down the River Jordan and to Jericho and back up to Jerusalem just to avoid Samaritans. 
The conversation here between Jesus and the Canaanite woman makes us wince, or at least it ought to. And the disciples didn't even think that children were fit for the kingdom. And so when they came bringing children for Jesus to bless, bless they sent, tried to send them away. But here, Jesus seems to agree with them that this woman is not fit for the kingdom. But what we see here is a turn in the conversation. What's happening here is that we learn that the conversation is not simply between Jesus and the woman, but actually is between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus is not a racist, even though what he's saying is incredibly racist. Because what Jesus is actually doing is he's articulating what the disciples are thinking. He's actually taking that which they hold in their hearts as a deeply held belief, but even they know that it's so outrageous that they would never want anyone to hear it publicly, and yet Jesus sees it and he puts it out there on display. I mean, if you've ever held prejudicial attitudes in your heart and then you hear someone verbalize them, how embarrassing is that? when we hear those prejudices demonstrated. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying to the disciples, you think she's a dog. And yet what we actually see in this passage is that she's the one who gets it. And her persistence is not what gets her her final uh, prayer, but actually her trust in the Lord Jesus, her faith. But you know, prejudice goes beyond racism. Any sense that we think ourselves better than anyone else is damnable. And Anglicans can easily fall into this trap of sin. I was talking to a gentleman once who began the conversation with me that said, I, I think that we ought to offer our best to God. I agree with him. Yes, I think that that's right in light of what Jesus has done for us. He said, in fact, because of that, that's why we ought to wear our best clothes to church. Started to lose me a little bit there. And he said, furthermore, we know that the best music written for the church was written by Western Europeans in the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. And to have anything less in our churches on Sunday mornings would grieve the heart of God. And I said, would you do me a favor? Would you be willing to go with me three blocks away to First African Baptist Church that was founded in the late 1700s and tell them that their Sunday gatherings since their inception have grieved the heart of God. That's not what I meant. Well, if that's not what you meant, then it means you're just simply patronizing. It may come as a surprise to some of us that worship in heaven will not be run by the staff of Westminster Abbey. <laughs> as wonderful as our choral tradition is, 
It will not be the dominant form in heaven, nor will guitars and drums, but out of every nation will be a great choir of the redeemed singing praises to the Lamb upon the throne. If you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. If any of us are perpetrating bigotry or supremacy of any kind, we have set ourselves up against Jesus Christ himself. And as the bigotry and racism of the disciples is exposed for what it is, for that's why he's entire in Sidon, because this woman is one of his sheep. And when it's exposed and they begin to wince, this woman still knowing who Jesus is and maybe not fully understanding him, but knowing who he is, understanding his property, says something very clever. In fact, somewhat humorous. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She responds understanding the grace of Jesus Christ because even though she wasn't there and the disciples were, she understood the teaching of Jesus earlier on in chapter 15. If you have your Bibles open, verse 11, Jesus says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And so as hearts are exposed... This woman is Jesus' teaching lived out. Where the disciples have the refuse of their hearts being laid upon the table for all to see. The kingdom of heaven is not about eating or drinking or race or anything of the sort. But that's not because this woman thought that her heart was pure than the disciples. In fact, she understood that even she was not worthy to gather up the crumbs under the table. The woman's cry early on in this story is, Lord, have mercy on me. Not, Lord, have mercy on my daughter. The mercy is shown to her. She is the object of mercy. It's her trust in the Lord Jesus that is demonstrated. Her heart is set upon the right thing. Jesus. Where the disciples are more worried about who's at the table and where they're going to sit at the table. We need to stop worrying so much about our place at the table and worry more about who is not there. Moreover, the one who should be at the head of the table. Yes, there are two audiences here, the woman and the disciples, but there's also a third, you and me. Where are we? What would it be like to have the thoughts of our hearts exposed in the same way as the disciples have here? I wouldn't simply wince I'd wish I were dead. And yet such awful thoughts find safe harbors in our hearts. We need to understand the dogs of our own hearts and own up to them. We need to confess them 
We need to repent of them and, like this woman, throw ourselves before Jesus and beg for mercy because we are not worthy to gather up the crumbs under his table. But it may be also this morning that you're one who has been the object of prejudice. You've been objectified, exploited, abused, degraded, and thought of as less than human. You have every right to be angry. But I pray, too, that you might find yourself in the posture of this woman. Throw yourself upon the mercy of Jesus Christ and unburden yourself. I know it's scary because to fix your eyes upon Jesus means to look at the bigots through the eyes of Jesus. For you, too, are just as easily in bondage to an untruth if you let it define you. It's easy to get so focused on the act of racial prejudice that we forget it's a heart issue, it's a sin issue, and we're all in the same boat. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Our opening hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, such a wonderful hymn, and there's a line that has stuck with me for the past several years, and that is that God is slow to chide and swift to bless. What would it look like if our lives were marked by the property and mercy of God? That we might be slow to chide and swift to bless. I want you all to go home and write slow to chide and swift to bless and tape it to your computers so that when you get on Facebook, you are reminded, slow to chide, swift to bless. We see here in Matthew 15 that none of us is worthy to gather up the crumbs under the table. But God, whose property is always to have mercy, not only gives us crumbs, but he gives his own life so that racists, the downtrodden, all of us might be saved and join that heavenly choir together. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard word this morning, and it's hard to make sense of it, but thank you for clarity by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would indeed expose those areas of our hearts that need exposing, where we need to confess and repent. Lord, we pray that you would bring us to that place. Lord, where we've been hurt, we pray that you would bind uh, up our hearts and put them together. And Lord, that you would bind us all together in the love of Jesus. Uh, Lord, that we would seek your face, and above all, that we would look to you, our only hope for salvation and healing in this world, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.